Um, well, I'm, as has uh, been mentioned, I'm speaking this morning, and um, what I'd like to do is um, I'd like to speak this morning a little bit about the subject of confidence. So that's what we're going to be looking at here this morning, subjects of confidence. Um, and it really came about because um, a little while ago, I read a survey that was conducted in 2015 that sort of got, got me thinking, and it was a survey of eight different nations, eight, eight different nationalities, and uh, they were looking at people's self-image and the way they, they viewed themselves. And so people from these eight different nations were polled on the basis of how funny, intelligent, attractive, and confident they felt. So those, those four things, amongst others, they were, they were polled on. And uh, so that got me thinking, well, confidence, you know, how confident are we? How confident are British people, would you say? Because they were amongst the eight nations. And so I thought, well, why don't we start? Just maybe turn to the person next to you and try and answer the question, do you consider yourself to be a confident person? You could grade yourself from one to ten if you like. If you think they're an overconfident person, feel free to tell them that as well. Now will be a good time. Just turn to the person, how confident would you say you are? And then we'll look at the results. Okay, so have you, have you got your answer? Do you think you know what you'd say in answer to that question? Do you want to know the results of the survey and how us British came out? Yeah? Do you want to know where we featured? So um, of the eight different nations, well, number one uh, were Americans. They came out number one, which is, a, which is a good thing. Not a surprise to some, but it's a good thing. So 35% of Americans said that they feel confident people. Uh, after that, um, there were other nations. Um, I know there are a number of South Africans in the room. Sadly, South Africans weren't mentioned in the poll, uh, but I think you'd have been in with a shout, guys. I think you'd have, you'd have stood a chance, all right? Um, but next came Australians, uh, and then Chinese after that. And meanwhile, only 16% of British people said that they felt confident. Only 16%. And that got me thinking, really, because this is, a, this is a big issue. It affects the way we live our lives and our outlook on life. So what I want to do this morning is look at confidence, our source of confidence, and how we can live confident lives. So why don't I just pray for us, and uh, then in a moment I'm going to introduce the passage that we can be looking at this morning, all right? So, Father, would you come and rest across this room? Thank you, Father, that uh, amongst the hundreds gathered here, there's just a different story to each life, but you know each one of us. And... Uh, each one of us, you've got on a journey of intimacy and connection to you. So Holy Spirit, would you come and take us on the next steps? Father, I pray for those of us who, who really don't feel confident, Lord God, who feel like we're, we're just lacking in any sort of confidence. God, come and speak to us this morning, we pray, and help us draw others on too, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, what I want to do is um, I, I want to look at a passage from John chapter 15. And uh, it's the point in Jesus' ministry on earth where he's, he's about to go to the cross. So it's one of the chapters building up to that where he's wanting to help prepare um, his disciples for him then going. And so he, his final words, if you like, are, are sort of laden with meaning and extremely important. So he's wanting to make every, every word count. And he's wanting his disciples to live lives after he's gone full of faith and confidence. So he wants his, his words to be memorable, and in doing so, he uses a word picture to help them remember it. So it's John 15. I'm just going to read the first five verses for us this morning. It says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, 
He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, Jesus, as he often did, the master teacher is using a visual aid in order to communicate to his hearers. And he's speaking in an agrarian, a a farming society. And so he's wanting to to use the visual aid of this vine in order to communicate to people. So he's using this plant uh, to make a point. Now, I've got to be honest with you. Normally, when I sort of read illustrations like that, I've struggled to connect with it. Um, Emma and I wouldn't say we're the greatest gardeners in the world. Uh, we don't have green thumbs. We've got the, perhaps the opposite of whatever that is. And just to evidence that, I've, I brought here one of my house plants here. Um, so I'm not an expert, but I feel like it's probably not doing too well. Um, so, so I haven't actually mentioned this to Emma because she's probably a bit embarrassed that I brought it here. So this is just our secret, all right? She's not in the room, so it's just between you and me and the people on the internet. So, um, so that'll be fine. So we're, I, d- I struggle normally to relate to it. However, in this instance, I feel like I can connect to it a little bit. The reason being that the people who own the house before us, uh, some years ago, planted a grapevine on the back wall of our house. And so I've taken a photograph of it, so you can see it, see it up on the screen here behind me. And that seems to be doing quite well. I think largely the reason is that we've had nothing to do with caring for it. I think that, that seems to be the secret. You just sort of leave it to grow, and it does fine. Um, so I can see what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the grapevine here, because I've, I've got one myself. And maybe as we're looking at this, you could perhaps picture this in your mind as we're looking at Jesus' word picture, his metaphor here for us. And there's loads in this passage, but I just wanted to pick out a couple of things very simply, really, for us here this morning. The first thing that strikes me from this passage is Jesus is saying, I'm the vine, you are the branches. The first thing that impacts me is that Jesus is saying to us, you were made to bear fruit. You were made to bear fruit. Or, or put another way, you were designed to make a difference in this world. And some advertisers and retail companies want you to believe that who you are is a consumer. Uh, that you're here just to buy stuff and be entertained. Uh, that we need to keep up with the, to date with technology and wear the latest fashions. But there's issues with that. As Henry Thoreau once said, every generation laughs at old fashions, but religiously follows the new. There's a lot of truth in that, isn't there? Isn't there? And it's the true of the society that you and I live in right now. The idea that contentment will come to us through having the right sort of stuff, through being a consumer of things, and increasingly a consumer of experiences, going on the right holidays and traveling to the right kind of places. But more and more people are realizing the truth of Jesus' words 2,000 years ago. That that alone is not enough to bring satisfaction. That you and I were made to bear fruit. Similar to what Simon was saying a couple of weeks ago, you were designed to be a creator, to do things of significance and importance. And that ironically, filling your life with stuff doesn't make you feel full. In reality, it actually makes you feel all the more empty. Anybody here got a garage, a loft, an understairs cupboard uh, that's full of stuff you never, ever use? Is anybody, is, am I the only one? Thank you. Those of you are honest enough, the rest of you will deal with denial another time. <laughs> I've got two sheds and a garage because I need to have somewhere to keep my rowing machine, the bread maker, the bikes our children have outgrown, and the pieces of wood that might be useful one day. <laughs> I need all that space. When the reality is, Jesus is saying to us, you weren't made to accumulate, you were made to participate. You weren't designed to accumulate stuff, you were designed to participate. 
He's saying you're made to bear fruit. Fruit in the context of this passage is about impact in people's lives, the impact we have on the lives around us. That's how the quality of our lives is measured. Fruit is measured by your influence, good or bad, on those that you love around you. I love the poetry of Proverbs 11.30, which says this, The fruit of the righteous life is a tree of life to those around them. Is that, would that describe your life? Are you a tree of life to those around you? Or do you look a little bit like my pot plant? What, what, what's true of you? And that's just as true in the church as it is anywhere else. If you come here as a consumer, a consumer of religious goods and services, to come and hear a worship time or be entertained in a preach, then very quickly you're going to end up being disillusioned. Things won't quite match up to your expectations. But if you come here wanting to participate wanting to serve, wanting to build relationships, wanting to play your part, then you're going to start to feel like you're fulfilling what God has for you. So that's the first thing I want to pick out from this passage, that you and I can be confident that you're not just made to be a consumer, but that you're made to participate, to play a role in this world. But of course, that then begs the next question, of well, how? How are we meant to do that? How are we meant to play our part? Many of us would want to sign up for that, but what does that look like? When Jesus then goes on to answer that question, he says, very simply, the way that you and I are to bear fruit is just by doing this one thing. It's by abiding in the vine. Abiding in the vine. You know, abiding isn't a word we use terribly often these days, is it? So what does it mean? Well, theologian Brian Hedges says it means these three things. He says it means connection, dependence, and continuance. It means to dwell in something. Uh, it's a poor illustration, but the closest I come to this is when I get into a really nice shower. Yeah? Have any of you ever stood under a power shower? And I just, I've been on camping at campsites where they've got like a, like a dribble of a shower, you know, which just feels like, like being spat on from a distance. It's not nice. But then, I, then you contrast that with standing in a shower, and I think to myself, I just want to live here. You know, I just want to stay in this space permanently. And people can bring me food and drinks and things. I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to dwell in this shower. It's, it's, it's a little bit like that. Or maybe closer would be saying, uh, like a scuba diver's dependence on oxygen in their tank. It's staying in that place where you're continually drawing on that, on that resource. The point he's making is that branches depend on the vine. The branches depend on the vine. You and I are dependent upon the vine. Now that, now that we're in that situation, we need to understand our level of reliance on Jesus. So I brought with you um, one of the branches from my vine here this morning. I picked it this morning, but it's just beginning to wilt a little bit. Now that I've detached this from the vine, what do you reckon the chances are of this bearing any grapes? I think they're pretty slim, okay? I'm not a gardener, but I reckon it's pretty much zero. Uh, what does Jesus say here? He says, without me, you can do nothing. I, I looked it up. Do you know what the word nothing means in the original Greek? It means nothing. It means you can't do anything. In actual fact, it means to rule something out altogether. That's what it means in the Greek word. We need to realize how radically different this is to the world around us. Much of the perceived wisdom out there is that maturity is about increasing in independence, becoming increasingly independent and self-sufficient. It's seen as the older you get, the aspiration is that you will maintain your independence for as long as possible. 
Jesus is saying the exact opposite. He's saying, I've made you so that you are utterly dependent on me. Do you see how uncompromising his words are? We're left with a choice through his words. One option is that we carry on like we always used to. We can live our lives um, reliant on ourselves, uh, perhaps dependent on him for eternal life, but meanwhile wanting to live out this life here on earth in in our own way, thank you very much. Trusting in our own resources, our intellect, our finances, and our personal abilities to get us through. A bit like some of the advice that's out there today. Um, you see this on the internet and Facebook and other places that what, some people would say what you need to do in order to have more confidence is to believe in yourself a bit more. Anybody, anybody heard that? What you just need to do is believe in yourself a little bit more. Or other things they'll say is you can do anything you put your mind to. Have you heard that one? Do anything you put your mind to. Just have confidence in your own abilities and you'll be okay. The trouble is I know me. I can't even grow a plant in a pot. You know, I, I need all the help I can get. Assembling IKEA furniture is a bit of a stretch for me. I can't do everything that I put my mind to. You know, the glaring fallacy in that worldview is that no matter how gifted, talented, or rich you are, sooner or later you're going to run out of sufficient resource. doesn't matter who you are, suddenly you're going to hit a situation where you don't have what it takes inside. And better to realize that sooner rather than later. Some of you will remember me uh, sharing about how um, one time I went along to our project's Christmas social. So the social action work we run, the team there were having a Christmas social. And what they chose to do that year was they chose to have a quiz. And so we were in teams of six, and they had different rounds in this quiz. And I was in one of the teams. And uh, the first round, I think, was... uh, about uh, Christmas itself, and then the next round, I think, was general knowledge. But it was the third round that really got me into trouble. Because in the third round, they said, this round is a Bible knowledge quiz. (laughs) And at that point, I felt five pairs of eyes turn and look at me, and somebody actually said, oh, great, we've got PJ on our team. We're definitely going to win this round. They actually said those words. They then proceeded 10 of the most random, the most obscure Bible questions I've ever come across in my life. You know, what was Abraham's stew size? And what was it Martha was cooking for Jesus in the kitchen? And those kind of questions. By the time we we got to question four, I could feel a sweat just appearing right on my forehead. Uh, By the time we got to question number six, I was wondering if it might be possible to feign a medical emergency. Perhaps if I grab, grab my left arm or something like that. By the time we got to question number eight, I was praying for the rapture. (laughs) Theologically, I don't actually believe in the rapture, but it didn't seem to stop me praying in that moment. I didn't get a single one of those things right. I don't want to upset anybody here, but the truth is you can't do anything that you set your mind to. We all have limitations on our resources and abilities. And the truth is, for me... I don't have all that it takes. There are some situations I face that are just too difficult, just too complex, just too demanding for me. It's at that moment I need to realize I need to be connected to the vine. That's the place that I'm meant to live out of. I don't have enough wisdom, intelligence, or gifting, or money to do life on my own. It was never designed to be that way. Now, of course, some people might say, well, isn't Christianity just a bit of a crutch to you then? To which I'd say, absolutely, what crutch are you using? Because the truth is, every one of us leans on something or someone. 
Jesus' words pose a stark choice to us. You can spend your life trying to believe in yourself more, or you can throw in your lot with him. He's the one that is infinitely more capable and trustworthy than even you. The truth is, we don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes to do this role, to do what God is calling me to do. But he does. The trouble is, living a life dependent on another is a little bit of a scary place to be, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever been sick for a while and you're just dependent on others to bring you food and drink and that sort of thing. It's an uncomfortable place to be. But it is where God calls us to live. I want to try and illustrate this to you a little bit with the help of a couple of friends and a ladder. Um, Me doing DIY, ladders are never far away from my thoughts. So uh, Mike and Steve uh, are going to help me here. And um, what I want you to do is imagine, I'm going to lay the ladder on the stage here, and um, the ladder's going to jut out over the edge of the stage. And uh, if you imagine, uh, this is the branch, and my friend Mike here, Mike is the vine, all right? So Mike is, for the purposes of this illustration, Mike is Jesus, all right? So, which is just lovely, South African Jesus, so it's good. So I'm going to step out here, and so this is me stepping out, being the branch. Right now, I'm utterly dependent on Mike at that end. I'm, I'm reliant upon him to be steadfast for me. By the way, I just want to take this moment to apologise for all the jokes I've made about South Africans. <laughs> and I hope you do win the test match. Okay, so that's, that's where I'm at. But I've placed myself in utter dependency on him. It's no longer about my resources and what I can do. This is what faith looks like. Faith is trust in another. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. This is how he calls us to live. Be honest with yourself. Are you willing to put yourself in that place of faith? Because Jesus is saying this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a follower of him, that you get all the resources you need, not from yourself. You can't do this on your own. You're utterly dependent upon him. You see, I'm still confident. I'm confident I'm going to be okay, but my confidence is no longer in me. My confidence is in him. And that's the way he calls us to live. And that's what the Bible says over and over again. Proverbs 3, verse 5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. It's about placing your trust in him. Psalm 20, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, it's not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Where am I now? I'm in a position of weakness. This is the place where his power can be used. Jesus said that he's inviting us to live a life of complete dependence on him. Just like my branch from the vine needs to be plugged into the vine for its very life source. And he calls this pinnacle of faith childlike trust. They were to have trust like little children have in their parents. He says that in Matthew 18, that unless you can have trust like children, then you can't enter into my kingdom. A few years back now, I took my family on a holiday when we were in France, and we hired one of those pedalos that has the slide that goes down into the water. And so we pedal out to where we're going to be. And before I had a chance to, to stop him, my youngest son, Zachary, slides off the slide and into the water. 
and I dive in to catch him. Why? Because he can't actually swim yet. So I pull him out, sputtering and spitting out salt water, and I said, what are you doing? And he said, it's all right, I knew you'd come and get me. (laughs) Childlike face, throwing his lot in. That is the way God calls us to live, with wild, reckless abandonment on his goodness. Do you see, that's how he calls us to live. Romans 1 says the righteous, so you and I, followers of Jesus, shall live by faith. We'll live by trust, not in ourselves, but in the goodness of Jesus. I'm having to trust right now about my future. I've come to a bit of a crossroads, not sure what God's calling me to next. Don't know what my life will look like in a year, five years' time. I'm out on a limb there saying, God, whatever you've got for me. But you want to know the toughest area right now where I'm having to trust? Is I'm having to trust the Father for my children. Because some of the sickness they've been through and some of the challenges that they face. It's one thing to trust the Father for you. It's a completely different one, isn't it? To trust the Father for your children. But I've got to trust that his goodness and his steadfastness is what's going to see them through. Not just me. Uncomfortable as it is, this is the place where we're called to live. But you want to know the good thing about standing out here? The good thing about this is that I can now go beyond my abilities. I can now do things that I couldn't otherwise do because I'm reliant on Jesus. I couldn't stand here without Jesus. But with him, I can live a miraculous life. With him, I can live beyond myself. And my desire is that I would get to the end of my life and people would point at what I'd done and they would say, he wasn't smart enough, he wasn't clever enough, he wasn't rich enough, he wasn't well enough connected to do all the things that he did. Therefore, there must be a God. I want us to live inexplicable lives, don't you and I, where we go beyond ourselves in him. I'm going to step off of here because it's a little bit wobbly. Can we thank Mike for helping us here? That's great. Let me just come in for a landing here. I guess I want to ask you, where is God asking you to stand in the uncomfortable place of faith right now? Is it with your finances? Is it with your immediate family? Is it with a relationship with a spouse that's tense and difficult? Is it with misunderstanding across your extended family? Is it over job uncertainty or just the sense that you're in the doldrums and not clear of what God is saying to you? Where is he asking you to live in the place of faith? Because that's meant to be the place where we get most connected with him, where we're most intimate with him, not the place where we draw on our own independent resources. Let me just close with these couple of thoughts. The first one is this. I heard someone say once that we each have a choice. We can either try to be the strong one, or we can try to be the weak ones made strong by God. I want to be one of the weak ones who's made strong by God and realize I don't have all that it takes. And the last thought for you is, I remember hearing um, about Roland and Heidi Baker. Some of you will have heard of them. Wave a hand in the air if you've heard of them. They are an amazing uh, couple who are uh, working out in Mozambique, been there since uh, 1980. And uh, they are used in planting churches and reaching out to orphans. And I remember an interview with Roland where he was asked about his wife and her faith. And uh, I forget the exact ages, he said, but... He, he said that what he's observed is that when he first met her, she had a, a wonderful childlike faith, this radical abandonment to the father. But it was like she was like a 12-year-old child. She had that sort of level of trust. 
But the longer he's known her and the more she's grown in her faith, then actually the younger she has become in her level of trust. And he's saying that now she trusts her father like a four or five-year-old would. There's been this wonderful, healthy spiritual regression as more and more she's abandoned everything over to him and trusts him. It's not that their responsibilities have shrunk. They've got over 10,000 churches they planted out in the bush. They feed over 12,000 orphans every day and house many of them too. So the responsibilities have increased, but she's learned to trust in her father every step of the way and realizes that one who's been there for her in the past and given her all the resources they need is also the one that's going to be there for her in the future. That's how we're meant to be. Not all uptight and trying to do things out of our own efforts and self-will, but increasingly just abandoned to the goodness of the father. Like my son, going off the end of the slide, I know he'll get me. That's how he's meant you to live your life. And that's how we can live with an increasing sense of joy and purpose. Why don't we take a moment to respond to him together?